Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Uh, we're so thankful that you're here. We want to welcome you, and we're thankful for all the families that are here, all the kids that are in the room, and all of us that are joining us online. We're just so thankful to come together as a church again and be able to continue in our series, The Unseen Hand. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, or perhaps this is your first week, I just want to kind of reset the fact that we're in the middle of a series designed to comfort us while we are away from our home church location. And just be reminded of what God has been doing. In this series called The Unseen Hand, we've been reminded each week that in every generation, God's unseen hand is working all things together for our good and to his glory. Do you believe that's true? It really is. And my prayer is that you are experiencing that more, that you're sensing God's activity in your life more. But perhaps this morning you've been hearing these stories about how God has stepped in and helped others who have been hurting how his unseen hand has come to the rescue and other folks who have been struggling. And you've been praying and asking God to help you and you've just felt like, man, he hasn't responded to that prayer. If that's you this morning, you've picked a great week to come to church. (laughs) Because this morning we're gonna do something a little bit different. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at historical narratives in the Old Testament where God's unseen hand is clearly seen in the midst of these stories where people are going through affliction and hardship and trial and God was there with them in the middle of that mess, in the middle of that affliction, in the middle of that hardship and God delivers them or God helps them endure, helps them get to the other side. And this morning we're gonna approach it a little bit different because we're coming off a weekend where our church held its annual Made to Minister conference. And if you are new to our church or perhaps you don't even know what that is, Made to Minister is our biblical counseling ministry And every year we put on a conference designed to bring people from all churches all over Oregon and Washington to come and be encouraged and equipped in the area of how do you take God's word and use it to help people? Because we believe God's word is timely, sufficient, and qualified to speak to everything that ails us. Do you believe that? And so over the last couple of days, we had an amazing time. 349 people from over 48 churches in Oregon and Washington came together. And we had a number of speakers Uh, that we're able to speak, a number of workshop tracks. And this morning, I'm excited to have a few of our guest speakers join me up on the stage here in a few moments to kind of help us understand what we're gonna be looking at this morning. What I want us to do is kind of unpack a little bit of the theme that was from our weekend. The, The theme for our conference was called The God of All Comfort. And it was based out of a passage found in 2 Corinthians chapter one. So if you have a copy of God's word, I wanna invite you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter one, We're gonna read the verses three through 11 this morning. And what I want us to see is just how the Apostle Paul reminds us that God's unseen hand provides comfort in all our afflictions. So we're gonna read this together, verses three through 11 in 2 Corinthians chapter one. And and then we're gonna invite some friends up here to join me on stage and help us look deeper at what God's comfort looks like in our lives and how we can recognize it and the ones that he loves. So if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read our text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses three through 11. If you're ready to hear from the word of the Lord, say ready. ready. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such terrible death and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him and he will deliver us again. While you join in helping us with your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. Do you believe that God is the God of all comfort? He is, you may be seated. I just wanna pray again and ask the Lord to guide our, our conversations this morning up here on the stage and just our understanding of the word. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. And just uh, this passage is true. Your word is true. And yet sometimes, God, as we are going through life in this broken world, we're facing affliction, we're facing hardships and troubles, and they test our faith. They cause us to wonder if you're truly who you say you are. So God, I pray that this morning that we would be able to understand this passage a little better And that you would use this passage to not only comfort our hearts, but to remind us that you are with us in the midst of our hardships. Help us to never forget that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth is that Paul is highlighting here is that we all will face affliction. That word in the Greek language can be translated troubles or oppression. Uh, We all face hardship. It's, It's undeniable. And in those times, we usually do things to try to comfort ourselves. I don't know if you're like me, but there's times where I feel overwhelmed. If I get stressed out, one of the things that I tend to do is I'll go for a walk. I will walk up uh, this little hill that's next to my house. And if you get to the top of the hill, you can actually kind of see through the valley on on a clear day, kind of like the last couple of days we've had, you could see St. Helens and Hood and even Mount Jefferson. And it's amazing how that little walk, if I'm stressed out or frustrated or feeling overwhelmed, or I just can't get my thoughts together on how to take that next step, just a little walk in the fresh air kind of resets my thinking. And I kind of remember how big the world is and how small my problems kind of are. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And it's almost like I want to stay up there and just kind of gaze at the mountains and just see God's creation and be reminded of how big he is. And then the reality hits, I don't live in any of those houses up there. So I got to walk back down the hill to where I live. <laughs> back into where the, the help lives. And uh, I, uh, I walk back into reality. You know, my hope this morning is that this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is a breath of fresh air. Sometimes we need a perspective change. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of God's goodness. But my concern every time we read verses like this is like, I, the reality is, is even though I kind of make a joke and we laugh, I, 
I realized that, you know, laughter can kind of be a momentary thing. These kind of, these kind of truths from scripture can kind of be almost like comfort food. They, we, we, we come to somebody or we come to church and we're heavy hearted. Like I know that in the room right now, there's heaviness and there's hurting and there's pain. Things that have been going on for years and, and some things that you are facing that you actually don't see any path forward. For, I want you to hear, I'm sorry. I know that's real. And in those moments, it'd be kind of insensitive for those who are truly lamenting hardship and frustration and sorrow and pain and trauma and abuse. For me just to say, hey, God is the God of all comfort. He's gonna comfort you. And then just to close our Bibles and walk away because that's almost kind of like a spiritual platitude. It's just this like, let me speak these words over you and then ex expect that that's just gonna change everything. Now I want you to hear something. These words can change everything. They're true. But there's more here. You know, sometimes when we self-comfort, we can find a go-to meal that makes us feel good. You know, that's, that's a style of food, a cuisine, comfort food. But the thing is, we usually eat it and we feel good for a moment and then we feel guilty for eating it. It doesn't last. It doesn't offer us lasting satisfaction. It actually provides no real resource to our issue. But what Paul is saying here is that we have a, a heavenly father, a God who created us, who is the father of mercy. He's the one that holds things back that could harm us or that could weigh us down. And that he is the God of all comfort who actively comforts us. I believe that what the first thing I wanted to highlight from our text this morning is that God's comfort is not a spiritual platitude, but a significant promise for those suffering affliction. When we read this passage, we can't just breeze through it. We need to, we need to savor what it's being said because it, it's true. God is the God of all comfort and this is what we need. This is, we need this hope to make it. We need this hope to stay faithful to God. We need this hope to know, man, I, I, I wanna stay faithful rather than giving into the desires of my flesh or taking things into my own hand. And Paul is testifying to that reality. Look what it says in verse eight. Paul is saying that we all suffer and he experiences too. This is one of God's faithful men. God used Paul to do amazing things to write so much of his inspired word down. And it says that we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired for life itself. I mean, Paul is saying, I want you to be aware, like even though God has called me to be a, a messenger of the gospel, God has given me a clarity of what he wants me to do with my life. It hasn't come without its share of hardship. The second thing I think this verse highlights for us is whether through relationship or resource, God's comfort provides real hope for the afflicted soul. Do you understand that God's primary resource for you when you're suffering is him? And yet oftentimes when we go to God in the middle and we pray, because that's what Christians are supposed to do, we pray, we give our request to God, we, we let him know what it we're actually asking God to either rescue us, like remove us from that pain or just to give us the resources to kind of go figure it out on our own. But oftentimes we don't go to God and say, God, I need you. <clears throat> and in his goodness, he still provides for our physical needs. He still can provide physical provisions for the things that are, we're struggling through. But ultimately he wants to be the one that we rely on. In verse nine, he says, indeed, we have felt that we've received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. All the promises that God has given us are rooted in the fact that he's already shown us how great his love is and how awesome his comfort is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
I love how scripture says, if God is willing to give us his son to meet our greatest need, what do we think else he would hold back from us? What is it that you think he won't give you that you need to face your current hardship? But as Paul concludes this opening part of this letter to the Corinthian people, I think he shows us a third thing, and that is our future hope is sourced in reflection, not prediction. Sometimes I think people think about God's comfort as like, I just gotta think about the comfort that's gonna come when I'm in heaven. And we just like, we try to hold on hope and just hold on to this, this you know, endure this hardship because one day it'll be no more. And that is an amazing promise, amen? But actually the current hope here is not wishful thinking or trying to be naive about the reality of affliction. It's just to, to actually look back and see that God has already proven himself as one that we can trust and one that will provide. That's what Paul says in verse 10. He says, he has delivered us from such a terrible death and he will deliver us again. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. Paul's comfort here, the, the, the fact that Paul believes God's the God of all comfort, it's not because God had allowed Paul's life to be comfortable. It's because God has shown himself to be a deliverer in the midst of that affliction. And he believed that that's God's character. And because it's his character, it's who he is. He doesn't have to like drum up the strength to be that. He will be that for us again in the future. If he is able to raise from the dead, nothing is impossible for him. So this morning, what I'd like to do is for us to kind of think a little bit more though about what is God's comfort? What does it look like? Because this is a spiritual thing like the unseen hand. We are told it's a reality, but sometimes we have a hard time perceiving it. But if we could understand what it looks like and what God wants us to do with his comfort, perhaps that would settle our souls. And I believe scripture has given us great insight to what God's comfort actually is and what it looks like. And to help me unpack that for us this morning, I wanna invite up a few of, few of my friends, uh, Andrew and Jonathan. Will we welcome them to the stage? I think they're turned on. Uh, Jonathan and Andrew were uh, a couple of our guest speakers and presenters this weekend. And um, uh, I'm uh, over one of, the, one of my responsibilities is to oversee our biblical counseling ministry. And in the biblical counseling world, uh, Andrew and Jonathan have made great contributions to the church through their work in biblical counseling. Uh, Jonathan is the founder and executive director of Fieldstone Counseling just outside Akron, Ohio. He previously served 15 years on the pastoral teams of Parkside Church and Parkside Green. Uh, Andrew comes to us here from Austin, Texas. He's the executive director of Austin Stone Counseling Center and the director of soul care for the Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. And um, guys, I just wanna thank you for being here this weekend. Um, these guys are um, faithful, they're, they're fathers, they're husbands, they're active in their local church and they are counseling people who are hurting. And uh, to just to make time to put that on pause, to come here and minister to us in the Northwest and to Salem Heights, I just wanna say thank you on behalf of our church. And so uh, we this morning are gonna kind of continue the conversation of where we were this weekend. And you guys helped me teach in the plenary sessions on this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter one. But I kind of wanna just kind of work through four movements as we, as we think about that this morning and, and let them hear from you. And I wanna start with kind of a description of God's comfort. It says that he is the God of all comfort, that he comforts us, but it doesn't necessarily go into more uh, depth. He starts to give a little bit of examples. So help us understand, Paul seems to be pointing to an unseen reality, something that is true, but not necessarily always seen. So looking at this text and just studying the word of God, how would you guys describe 
God's comfort? I have no idea. Uh, <clears throat> I, I'd say that even as we've thought about this, the comfort of God comes in so many forms and facets. Like yeah. primarily in scripture, uh, it's what well, you already hit on. It's touched on as the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Like that the presence of God, I will never leave or forsake you, Matthew 28, or go back to the book of Joshua, where it's I will be with you as you go into the land. This idea that the comfort of God is relentlessly with us in any and all circumstances. And yet we even look at the passage and I'd say, was it the comfort of God to bring Paul and his friends to the edge of death? that they might experience that God is the God of resurrection. Sort of. Like it's sort of his comfort that there's no other way for us to know him as the God of resurrection than for us to come face to face with death. Um, So it's his loving comfort to lead us into hardship and weakness and difficulty that we might taste and see he is the God of comfort. Yeah. Um, So now we've got this weird thing where it's like, no, God can lead us into pain. And as the Proverbs talk about, a, a friend's wounds are faithful. And profuse are the kisses of the enemy. This idea that the loving comfort of a friend hurts sometimes. And I think similarly we see that with God. So when, the question is, what is God's comfort? I'm like, all the things that he does. <laughs> like, all the things he does to lead and shepherd his people uh, into what he has for them. And I'd build on that present sense. I think one of the really beautiful things that we see in Second Corinthians is, God is particularly happy to choose ordinary people like Paul, like Titus, like Epaphroditus, people like you to minister that comfort. And that, that comfort isn't just theoretical or abstract, like, hey, here's a, a promise, a day to read, but that comfort gets mediated and incarnated in everyday people. So in Second Corinthians 5, Paul referred himself as an ambassador for Christ. And uh, right, we all know ambassadors don't represent themselves. It's not about their agenda. It's about who they represent and whose message they represent. And one of those messages is we represent the God of all comforts. So, you know, never underestimate the, just the privilege and the honor of being God's ambassadors and really making concrete that comfort to people in the real world. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the challenges is that God's, when we think of comfort, it usually is we, we equate it with ease or... Um, a relief or just a settledness and yet we don't experience it without that kind of adversity that contrast of struggle so we probably wouldn't ask for it but we're thankful for it and experiencing it so if we kind of talk about the reality of God's comfort it does seem to be something that is more felt than seen we can't sometimes it's hard to say that's God's comfort that's God's comfort and so sometimes I've heard I I was telling the story this weekend about how I was uh, doing some uh, work with some teens on a mission trip and one of them in an atheistic country and one of their perspectives was that God and this idea that he loves us and he cares for us and he provides and he comforts us is really just they had been taught that's a crutch for people who just can't figure out life on their own and to uh, believe in that is kind of just to try to turn your mind off to the reality of what is and kind of distract yourself with some kind of almost fantasy thinking so how do we like understand the reality of God's comfort? Like how do we, how do we look at it and, and be able to say this is not just something that I'm using to distract myself. It's a real thing. How do I recognize it? I'll, I'll 
come at the question maybe from a different angle, but I was reading a, a book by Australian theologian Brian Rosner, and he's done a lot of study on people who struggle with depression and anxiety and just really significant uh, mental health issues. And he said one of the things that, that we notice with people who are struggling with such things is that they lack, an, he said, an incoherent narrative about life. They don't have a coherent narrative that makes sense of the troubles that they face, the troubles that are inside of them, the people around them, uh, why things go a certain way. And so while some people might say, yeah, religion is a, a crutch for weak people, I'd say, well, I actually think that our faith gives us a coherent narrative. It's not a crutch. It actually gives us a story, a greater story in which we find ourselves in. It's not primarily our story. It's primarily God's story about uh, who he is, why he created us, uh, what has gone wrong, what makes it bad, and where we're headed. And I think that in terms of comfort and the reality of comfort, that to me seems so much more robust than the humanistic narratives that are offered to us, which are oftentimes competing, right? We're all inherently good, but we're faced with evil all around us. Well, where did that evil come from? Well, we don't know. Everybody's good. Uh, if there's no God, if there's no afterlife, if just this is the life that we live here and now, then, then why do such things happen to us? And to me, what our faith gives to us in Scripture is so much deeper, so much richer. It, it is the reality of realities that actually makes sense of the troubles we face, the troubles that we experience, and, and ultimately this God of all comfort that we've been talking about. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, I think one of the greater apologetics for the Christian belief is this reality that, uh, if we want to put it in the lens of comfort, we all feel this sense of, I need to be comforted. And implied in that is I've experienced something that I should have never experienced. Like at a core level, my heart rages against the suffering and the pain and the injustice of this world. In the history of humankind, there's never been a just society except for two chapters in Genesis. And then, you know, everything fell at chapter three. And still within humanity and all of history, there's this unshakable longing for it should be just. I should not have to suffer. I should not have to experience pain. I need to resolve this idea. And I, I think, again, what scripture offers us uh, is the right answer for why we feel that way, why we feel so dissonant, that our experience can be nothing but injustice, but we will never let go of the idea it's not the way it should be, because frankly, it's not. Uh, we we're built for the Garden of Eden. I mean, we had two chapters, again, where Adam and Eve lived with God in perfect harmony, perfect beauty, perfect relationship. Comfort wasn't required. Uh, comfort wasn't needed. They existed in an environment where it was unnecessary because there was not pain. And then Genesis 3 happens and the fall of mankind. And now it starts to make sense of our current world. This dissonance we experience of the pain within our souls that in our brokenness, we long for it not to be so, even though we see it everywhere. And ironically, that's the very tool, interestingly enough, that God used to reveal himself as a God of comfort and as a God of mercy. I don't know if you have all considered this, we would not know God as a God of mercy if we did not have our brokenness. We would not know this aspect of the character of God that he's a God who comforts without our pain. And so the hardship and the pain were required for us to get a bigger view of actually who God uh, is. Um, so what Satan intended to divide and destroy and to separate us from God, God has actually used to draw us nearer and give us a bigger perspective of, hey, I'm not just a God of design, design of peace. I'm a God who draws near in your pain. I'm a God who comforts in your pain, and I am the father of all mercies. I'm the one who gives birth to mercy, and so, yeah. So you both work with, you've, you've done work for a lot of years as counselors and, and work within the church, outside of the church. You interact with people. A lot of people come to you in their brokenness, looking for help. 
And so in your experience, what, what are some of the ways or what are some of the main kind of recurring themes or perspectives or worldviews that get in the way of someone recognizing God's comfort in their lives? Because I think there's a block. I mean, if it says God's the God of all comfort, even if we don't experience it, he is there, he is comforting, he's at work. What gets in the way of us recognizing God's comfort? In the Beatitudes, in, in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And if you take a look at the Beatitudes, this kind of this, this is what blessing looks like. This is the one on whom the Lord would say, blessed is the man. And what's so fascinating is every single one of those Beatitudes speaks to essential human need, essential human weakness. It's not blessed are the strong, blessed are those who have it together, blessed are those who have 401ks, blessed are those who are married and have four kids. It's blessed are those who mourn. Uh, blessed, are, blessed are those people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So one of the things I think primarily that keeps us from receiving comfort is this individualistic inability to actually admit that we have a need for comfort. I find this particularly in Western culture, which is highly individualistic, highly performative. Uh, it's about me, me pursuing my goals and my dreams. It's all about me. And to admit, man, I actually don't have everything I need to make it in life. I actually need other people. That, that requires a humility and a weakness that I find oftentimes, especially in American culture, uh, is difficult for us. So the, the movement in that beatitude is, man, in order to receive comfort, you have to grieve. You have to admit essential human need. And I think in, in many ways that's part of what counseling can do. That's part of what your everyday conversations can do is tell me a little bit more about your need. Uh, we are both needy and needed. We both comfort and we need comfort. And so if we can begin to break down that barrier a little bit of, listen, let me talk about my suffering, my grief, my loss. I think that that's at least one step towards uh, receiving comfort. What, what kind of gets in the way of people? I love that answer Jonathan gave that we you need to admit that we need it. Sometimes we're looking for just resources to fix it on our own, but not going, actually, I need someone to come in and do, a, do all the work. What are some ways that you yeah, see? This is why I love the Bible. Um, you go back to Genesis and you look at the fall. And Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whoops, that was not a good idea. Uh, they realize they're naked and what do they do? Um, they butcher a fig tree to cover themselves up. Uh, then they hear God walking in the garden and they try and hide from an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God behind a tree. That did, that did not work out very well. Uh, and then God calls out to them. And what does Adam do? He pops out of the tree and says, hey, God, I figured it out. I'm sorry I was naked. I put these fig leaves on. I got it covered. And God leans in and says, hey, who told you you were naked? And that's when Adam realizes the game's up. Uh, and so what does he do next? Well, this woman that you gave me, she did it, you know? Uh, and I see in this whole pattern our same tendency that when we experience pain, we reach for our own version of self-comfort. We reach for our fig leaves. We reach for hiding. We reach for covering up. We reach for these things that try and fix ourselves, and none of them work. None of them last. And the tail end of it, and this is, I'd say, primarily where our culture has landed, the most effective one right now is blame. It's because of my circumstance. It's because of someone else. It's because of something that was done to me. It's because of all these other things. And as we blame everything on someone else, we actually remove the opportunity to receive the comfort we need, which is what Jonathan was just hitting on. For me to receive that comfort, I have to acknowledge that I'm hurt and where I am. I can't receive that comfort until I get there. 
You look at God's response in the rest of Genesis 3, and it's just remarkably beautiful. God gives them animal skins, covers over them. In other words, an animal had to be shed, blood was shed, uh, forecasting the, the gospel that was to come, that God would shed blood in order to redeem and cover them. And in that moment, to think about it for Adam and Eve, they had to lay down their version of comfort. They had to let go of their fig leaves to properly receive the right covering that God was offering them. And you can also consider in all of Genesis 3, at no point does God look at them and say, Adam and Eve, here's what you're supposed to do to make this better. Instead, God continues to say, no, I am the God of comfort. I am the God of all mercy. I am the God who will give you the right covering uh, in time. And so the, the primary thing that keeps us from feeling the comfort is we settle for really thin, shallow versions, short, temporary solutions to an eternal problem to try and fix ourselves. And it just doesn't work. And so then if... The, the obvious question for me then is, what can we do to experience it more? I mean, I'm hearing confession, I'm hearing acknowledgement, I'm hearing some sort of humility that, that works itself against pride and this self-reliance. But in your practices, dads, husbands, pastors, counselors, I mean, someone comes to you and they're like, I, I want to receive God's comfort. I want, like, how do I do that? What practical tip... Or what, what first step do you give that person to be able to experience more of God's comfort? So my tendency would be to jump into Lamentations 3. Uh, Lamentations 3, very fun, familiar book for all y'all, I'm sure. Um, it's not a happy book, necessarily, as you might get from the title. Uh, in Lamentations 3, uh, Jeremiah, who's in just a dark, deep pit of despair, um, spends 20 verses just giving full vent to God. If I'm analyzing you based on what I see... And what I understand, this is what you feel like. And what Jeremiah says is you feel like my enemy. You feel like someone who's making me chew on gravel. You feel like somebody dragging me across glass. You feel like someone who's shot me with arrows and you're just standing there watching me bleed out. You feel like a bear lying in wait about ready to kill me. That if I'm analyzing you, Lord, from just what I can see, you feel like worse than my worst enemy. Um, so this is the honesty. This is the grieving moment. This is Jeremiah going, Lord, if I, if I stop at just what I can see, I don't trust you. And then we get to verse 21. Uh, and there's the pivot. And the pivot is, but this I will call to mind. And this I'll remember. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's the one on the coffee mug. Nobody puts the first 20 verses on the coffee mug. It's just that last one. It's like, oh God, you're great. It's like it's 20 verses of Lord, I don't trust you. And then his soul gets there. And so I think this is the both and. The practical is I need to be honest about my pain. And God invites that. I think we need to remember he invites us to a childlike faith, not an adult faith. And what do our children do when they're hurt? Uh, they don't hide it. They come crying to us. They let us know the full vent of their pain. They come and ask for help. They're honest about what it feels like. We're invited to that. And I say when we tend to do that first, then we find the comfort is right behind it. That in that honesty, God meets us there. Um, and that's what I tend to lead people towards. Jonathan, for you. You've been talking a lot this weekend about platitudes. And I think one of the things that, that keeps us from that, uh, in, in the Gospel of John and John 6, there's a lot of questions about Jesus and his identity. And you know, people are you know, disparaging it. And he asks this poignant question of the disciples. He says, well, you know, who do you say that I am? And do you want to leave me too, like all these other people? And, you know, Peter, the self-anointed spokesperson, he says, Lord, to whom else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Then you go a chapter later in John 7:46. the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees are, are persecuting Jesus and the disciples. But, but there's this phrase in 46 where they said, no one has spoken like him. No one has spoken like him. There's, how do we comfort? Well, I'd say one step is that we immediately realize that it's not our words. It's not our platitudes. It's not our, our own wisdom. You know, hey, light a candle, hold eyes, you know, get a weighted blanket or something of that nature. But how can I get my words to, to imitate and to be as close as possible to the very words of Christ? Um, there, there's so much about how to comfort ourselves in the world, these, these thin fig leaves, right? Like believe in yourself, treat yourself, take a day off, um, that, that we all realize at the end of the day, that really doesn't work. What we need is, in this world, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So how can I be so embedded in walking in Christ that the very words that I speak are words of Christ? Because those are the words of eternal life. So. I love that. That's so good. And that kind of sets up kind of the final thing I want us to just talk about a little bit. Because one of the things that we see here in this text is Paul says that God comforts us so that we in turn can comfort those with the same type of comfort we received. And so there seems to be a responsibility that Paul even acknowledges that, man, I, God had, the reality of God's comfort, I've experienced it, and here's how low I've been and how God has met me, and yet I don't believe that's just for me to consume. God wants me to do something with it, and that can kind of be scary. And yet I think we have a, a church full of people who have said, I, I want to minister, like I want to serve. How can I be equipped to do that? So what are we supposed to do with this comfort? You know, what, what do we do when we don't feel like, well, I haven't experienced what they've experienced, so how do I comfort them? Or I don't want to be the expert that comes along and has, you know, becomes everyone's counselor, but I want to be faithful to what God's words say here. What, maybe just briefly tell us, like, what is God saying through Paul when he says this comfort we received is meant to also go out? And what does that look like? I think, you know, in the big picture, it's the very picture of our faith, that our faith is primarily not about self-improvement, but it's about glorifying God as we live into the calling that he's given to us, which is, again, so contrary to every cultural narrative today, every system of self-improvement or religion, it's primarily self-referential. It's about you getting better, you fulfilling your dreams of self-discovery and power and achievement. And the Christian faith is completely upside down from that. It says in Matthew 10, 39, if you want to find yourself, you have to lose yourself, right? That is the key to Christian discipleship. So, so the movement would be, this is the very heart of our faith, is that we are following Christ and we are moving towards others. It is love for God and love for other people. So, you know, the first step for me is just simply awareness. Be aware. Talk to people in church. Don't just run out uh, as soon as the closing prayer is done. Be willing to ask a question and be willing to wait for an answer. If you're going to ask a question and say, hey, how are you doing? And just get an answer of, oh, I'm fine. You know, are you willing to press in a little bit more and say, well, tell me more. Tell me more about that. Are you willing to be aware? Are you willing to be attentive? Are you willing to press in and ask questions? And, and are you willing to, to have the stamina to stick with people, you know, in the midst of their troubles and suffering? And, and friends, that's something that you don't need a license to do. You don't need a PhD to do. It, it starts with love for Christ, right? And that's what's so beautiful is that every person in this room, right, we are called to and equipped for that a good cause. Yeah, I mean, I love this passage. Uh, so just briefly here, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction, that we might be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort he has given us. The God who comforts us in any affliction, like consider this, there's no affliction in this life you'll ever meet that is bigger than the comfort that God offers you. But that's step one. 
Uh, and I'd say that's the part that I think we really have to wrestle with in our own heart is have we allowed the comfort of God to pour into every broken part of our life? Have we tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Because if we haven't and we try and offer it to people, it's going to feel thin and stale. Uh, they'll, be to, they'll be able to pick it out. Um, that we have not really tasted and seen the beauty of what God has offered. And then the Apostle Paul says this, if we've tasted and seen, if we receive this comfort of God, we can comfort anyone in any affliction. Dang! That's unreal! Like, what a call! Any affliction. Because what we have is a comfort that surpasses all of that. Now, I want to be clear, that does not mean you're the best person for every situation. What it does mean in every situation of pain, you have what is most necessary. What people need is not necessarily your story, your skill set, the things you went through. What they need is to know the comfort of God. And God works in unique and beautiful ways in similar stories. He doesn't tend to take the same path with each child. And so for us to be able to offer, hey, I don't know what it's going to look like in your life, but I found the comfort of God is able to meet me in every affliction. And I know yours, though it might be different than mine, he can meet you there. And so I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you, but I just want to be with you in it to get to see the comfort of God meet you there. Um, in which case, what we model is the presence of God in flesh and blood, just staying with them in it. We don't need to know the answers particularly, but what people need is to know someone is there who understands and who isn't going anywhere, just like God is not going to leave them. So we've talked about what does God's comfort look like? We've talked about how to, what gets in the way of us recognizing it. How can we experience it more and what should we do with it? I think you've given us a lot of things to think about. You've, you've t- pointed our attention to some other scriptures that we could look at this week. But I just want to thank you guys again for being here this weekend and just ministering to our people. Can we give them a hand? The reality is, is that we come to church sometimes hurting and we're wanting to hear from the word of the Lord, we're wanting to hear God speak to our problems. That's why we're so committed to preaching the word every week. But sometimes we can come and we can listen, but even the pain distracts us from really hearing and seeing what God's doing. And we can leave church still feeling a little bit empty or not having our needs met. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I want to experience God's comfort. I'm going through some things. We're going to have some people at the end of service up here that would love to pray with you. We don't need to know all the background. We don't need to know all the story, but we want you to know that we care. We'll pray and we want to come alongside you to be able to help you experience God's comfort this morning. And so we're going to pray here and uh, just kind of sing one final song and then be dismissed. But we're thankful for a God who is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in any kind of affliction we face. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to uh, just kind of unpack what it means to be in relationship with the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. And God, we thank you for Paul's testimony, how even when he was suffering affliction that took him to a point where he even despaired life, he just didn't know how he could go on. You met him there and your provision of comfort in those circumstances gave him the confidence to know you would do it again. And so God, I pray that we would look back at what you've done. We look back to your word and it would give us the hope to trust you in our current struggles and to seek you and you alone for true and real comfort. God, would you 
Would you let us experience that more? Would you help remove the hurdles or the the blocks that are getting in the way from us being able to see it and recognize it in our lives? And when we do experience your comfort, would we first thank you and praise you? And then would we let that comfort be what we offer to other people, what you've given us, we freely give away. God, thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name.